Now Playing Podcast is brought to you in part by Sunblock 5000. They say 20 seconds in the California sunshine is too much these days. Ever since we lost the ozone layer. But that was before Sunblock 5000. Just apply a pint to your body. You're good for hours. See you by the pool. Sunblock 5000. Protection for the new age. The Surgeon General warns frequent use of Sunblock 5000 will cause skin cancer. Sunblock 5000. I'd buy that for a dollar. All Detroit has a cancer. The cancer is crime. We need a 24-hour-a-day police officer. A cop who doesn't need to eat or sleep. A cop with superior firepower and the reflexes to use it. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the future of law enforcement. You call me RoboCop. This is now playing's RoboCop Retrospective Series. Hosted by Arnie. This guy's really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Jacob. If he just talked things out with people instead of firing that big gun of his. And Stuart. You're perfect. I must have you. Their prime directives are serve the public trust, provide detailed plot spoilers, and use harsh language. Bad language makes for bad feelings. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, yeah. Go get him, boy. Today we're discussing RoboCop, starring Joel Kinnaman, Gary Oldman, Michael Keaton, Samuel L. Jackson, and directed by Jose Padilla. Ma, 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 ma. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. You ready, Arnie? Yeah, me too. Stuart in L.A. And this is your part man, part machine, all podcasting host, Jacob. And this is it, guys. We got through the prime directives. <laughs> we are to the finish line on RoboCop. Right. Already, whatever this is going to be, it's looking a hell of a lot better. I mean, it, <laughs> things are looking up. Already, I'm going to just blow my review. Easily a far cry from the last four films that I just suffered through. I need to make an apology to our friends in the Great White North. Because we've ripped Canada a new one <laughs> for four podcasts in a row. They made this film too. And hey, congrats. Blowing my review. Competent filmmaking from Canucks. <laughs> yes, it is possible. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. A, a redemptive moment for our Canadian brothers. But boy, it sure took them some time. Even though it's only been a couple days since we covered Crash and Burn, it took 12 years from that last airing to get a RoboCop on any kind of screen. <laughs> Let's not even count that. It's been 20 years since RoboCop 3, which we're forced to count. <laughs> that one at least had <laughs> a theatrical release. Fair enough. I always approach reboots with a mix of sorrow and excitement. 
Sorrow because it means that the characters that have come to love in the previous sequels no longer will exist. That story has ended when you hit the reboot. But excitement because it's usually gone to shit by that point anyway, and so you look <laughs> forward to a possible good movie featuring a version of characters you liked. Yeah, Artie, you are always the eternal optimist with these reboots or remakes, whatever we call them these days. This is the bread and butter of now playing. I feel like, if anything, the show was created because of reboots and yeah i i tend to be like i like the first film and a lot of franchises and then i know it's going to go downhill it's always these reboots though i don't have had much luck with them throughout our history that's always the question. Is this just going to be another waste of time? Or are we going to end on a good note for once? Well, I mean, there is always the talk of, is the reboot very good? And it's very easy to lump reboots into a crap pile. And the more that they come out with, the more often I start to get down on them. But I think you've got your hits like Rob Zombie's Halloween and the remake of Texas Chainsaw. You can go back and listen to Stuart disagreeing with me on those. You've got your complete mis fires like Texas Chainsaw 3D or Friday the 13th, but most of the time, I feel like we just get meh. We get Amazing Spider-Man. We get... Carrie. He thought Carrie was the best yeah. of the bunch. <laughs> oh, right. Wow, weird. <laughs> but that's based off a book, so that's a different adaptation of the same thing versus A Nightmare on Elm Street's remake. You know, so much of this where when it comes down to it, the recommends are really matters of inches more than loving and i'm happy to say whether i love or hated this movie at least it's not meh well you know i wanted to do myself a solid after what i just sat through i was like i'm gonna go watch some real movies and so i thought i'm gonna go watch some movies by jose padilla a filmmaker who i didn't know i'm like oh he's making the robocop reboot there must have been a reason why they gave it to him so i am excited for this reboot because i have just come back from elite squad one and two which are fantastic movies from brazil i can see why he got the job and let me tell you i know that darren aronofsky was attached to this reboot for a while i would much rather have jose padilla do it than darren aronofsky particularly elite squad two high high recommend like dark knight good like wow. can't believe it's as good as it is you really and not only is it a fun very engaging intricate action movie about cops but it really has a lot of moral dilemmas again i kept thinking a lot about dark knight i kept thinking about how this guy really understands the dimensions and the ethics of what it is to police a society. And it would be so easy to take what he did from Brazil and transplant it into futuristic Detroit. I was very blasé on going to see this reboot until I watched those two movies. And I'm telling you, I was hyped. I was so excited last night at the Chinese theater taking in a midnight IMAX showing of the new movie. Now, I haven't seen those movies. I'll also let slip. They both got added to my Netflix queue, though. I want to go back and see more about my brother here, Jose Padilla. For listeners who don't know, I am Brazilian, and I've been rooting for Jose since I found out he made the top-grossing Brazilian film of all time. Didn't know much about him, but he was Brazilian, so I kind of wanted to see him succeed. So, to hear those movies are good sounds phenomenal. The more I read about RoboCop, the more I read about those movies and how they were just great action films like America hasn't produced this is somebody else's words, but saying that they're better 
action films that America has produced in decades. And as I have discovered, I like good action, but not any action. I wanted to check those out. But yeah, he's the top grossing filmmaker of Brazil. And when he was talking with MGM about different films and they were trying to pitch him on various projects, he pointed at the picture of Robocop's poster on the wall and he said, I want to do that. So he picked this. They didn't pick him. Yeah, he seems like a natural fit. Again, when I saw Elite Squad, they don't put the two in it. It streams on Netflix as Elite Squad, The Enemy Within. They make you get the disc for the first one. But when I saw that second one, I liked it better than Robocop. I mean, I know you guys consider Robocop one of your favorites, but I'm like, here's a guy that could actually take this to another level. Much like Christopher Nolan and what he did with Batman, this guy could do it with Robocop. Well, yeah, and I'm an Aronofsky fan. I was excited when he was supposed to do Batman that ended up going to Nolan. Great choice. That that ended up being a great trilogy. And, I, I, you know, again, I hear Aronofsky, oh, he's going to do RoboCop. Great. If you're going to hand this franchise, I mean, really, that first film, I, I've said it before, in my top three. So that's what I really care about is the legacy of that first film. I, you could say this is a franchise or whatever. I, two, three, prime directives, whatever. But, okay, great. Aronofsky, someone that could really do something with this. And then it goes to another director, someone who I don't know anything about. I've been planning on watching those elite squads because I've heard good things about them. Arnie, unlike you i didn't read much i didn't want to know i was really fighting my fanboyism here being such a fan of that first film i felt like the more i saw the more i wanted to nitpick and go that's not verhoven and so that was a real battle for me going into this i put that behind me though i'm not gonna try to compare it that much to verhoven's i want to really approach this as its own thing because i feel like this director has taken it and gone in a unique direction he he didn't try to just do a remake this is a reboot and a different take on robocop and i want to say the reason I was reading this stuff isn't necessarily out of excitement for this reboot. I was doing my reading because this is now playing and we need to be a <laughs> monochrome of informed about what's going on in the movies we're reviewing. So I would don't know that had we not been doing this retrospective that I would have sought out information about this RoboCop because I went in with really low expectations. I saw the trailers and yeah, I was nitpicking that looks like a Dark Knight ripoff with that outfit he's in, the black outfit. I went and I saw the toys at Toys R Us, and there's a talking 18-inch Robocop, and I pushed his chest, and he said, if I had a pulse, it would be racing. And I'm like, he's gonna be telling bad one-liners? What the fuck are they doing to my Robocop? And so, would I have seen this in theaters? Yes, out of love of Verhoeven and morbid curiosity. But when I went to my theater and they didn't have a midnight showing, I actually took an afternoon off work and went to a 1 p.m. matinee. It was me and the dregs of society. (laughs) And no, that's not the band from It's Your Move. And no young people. Everybody was 30 and up in this entire crowd and unemployed except for me who's the only person in the country I think who took time off work for RoboCop. Yeah I I wasn't necessarily that committed Arnie. Bravo for you for doing that. I did go midnight last night and I just attribute the small crowd I was with as being that nobody wants to be in a movie theater on a Tuesday at midnight. I mean I felt bad. They did a big production on this. Like I said I saw it in the Chinese theater, you know, a premium Hollywood venue, and they've recently remodeled it. I want to just say as a sidebar, it used to be kind of a dump, but it's beautiful now. I love that theater. And they were there giving out gifts. You could win action figures. You could win t-shirts and sweaters and all of that. Almost everyone in the crowd won something, and they only gave out eight gifts. Yeah, I also went to a midnight showing, and they had two midnight showings going on. I don't know why. I guess one was on the bigger IMAX screen, one was on a normal screen. 
screening. It seemed weird to split the audience like that because I don't think there's more than six people in either screening. I was just surprised that I wasn't putting on a visor. You know, I thought for sure this was a 3D movie. I was so not tuned into this. I just assumed that this was going to be 3D or post-conversion 3D at that. But no, they did, I think, the admirable thing and just released it as a standard old IMAX. I take that as a sign of no faith, because this does feel like a movie, especially this time of year. I mean, let's remember, Stuart, it was not much more than one year ago right now we were dealing with <laughs> Texas Chainsaw 3D. Yes. Still the worst movie I saw in 2013, yes. And then there was Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance 3D. The fact that this thing's release date kept getting moved, it was supposed to be an August release, then last Friday, then got moved to a Wednesday on before Valentine's Day, I took it as a really bad sign, helping again to have me go in with really low expectations that the studio had no confidence in this movie from this foreign director. Well, I would also throw in there, the studio in question is partnering they're with Columbia Sony but this is MGM and we well know anyone that listened to the Bond retrospective knows that they had a hard call climbing out of bankruptcy I just think it probably ended up being a lack of money my guess as to why Aronofsky didn't make it was that they ran out of money and they put all of it towards Skyfall and there was just no money to make it when he was free to make Robocop so they went with someone who was free after Skyfall made bank so I think it's only because James Bond was a hit that they were able to cobble it together and make their next property. I think RoboCop owes a lot arriving on theaters to the success of the last Daniel Craig movie. So let's get into it then. Arnie, give us a plot. In the not-too-distant future, the USA has pretty much won the global war on terror. It's not that terrorists aren't still trying to do suicide bombings against Americans, but thanks to land-based drones or robots such as the ED-209 and the human-shaped ED-208 patrolling enemy cities and performing weapon scans, taking out their attackers with lethal efficiency, America is militarily dominant. But Omnicorp, the military contractor who makes the robots, sees real profit potential by expanding the deployment to domestic law enforcement. However, thanks to a law dubbed the Dreyfus Act, named after the Senator Dreyfus who sponsored the bill, use of drones domestically is illegal. Despite the endless TV speeches by political commentator Pat Novak, played by Samuel L. motherfucking Jackson, Americans are against robots in America. But Omnicorp CEO Raymond Seller, played by my Michael Keaton thinks he sees a way around the law by putting a man inside the machine. He recruits Omnicorp's Dr. Dennett Norton, Gary Oldman, who has done groundbreaking development in cybernetic artificial limbs to sign on for a military application of his technology. While Sellers is looking at profit, Norton is a good doctor who sees more funding for his medical research and helping save lives of people who may otherwise die. And one of those people who may otherwise die is Alex Murphy, played by Joel Kinnaman, a Detroit cop who gets blown up by a car bomb when he starts to get too close to a drug dealer and gun runner. Murphy's wife signs off on the procedure with the hopes of saving her husband, not realizing that all that would be saved is his head, his lungs, and his left hand. Ick. We're gonna talk about that disturbing, disturbing Woo! scene. Murphy is rebuilt into Robocop, a cybernetically enhanced soldier. But when Murphy's statistics come in lower than a robot, Bots, slowed by the human brain, Norton is pressured and ends up bypassing Murphy's brain. The program will make all of his decisions when in combat mode, but Murphy thinks he's in control. 
Just when Murphy is about to go live on the streets, they upload the police database into his brain, and Murphy witnesses the video of his own death. He starts to have seizures, the cybernetics unable to handle this violent emotion, and so Norton is again pressured to fix it, and he does so by removing almost all of Murphy's emotions. The result is a lauded, efficient cop cleaning up Detroit, but all traces of Alex Murphy are gone, much to the dismay of his wife Clara, played by Abby Cornish, and their young son. A plea from Clara gets through Robocop's programming, and he returns to his home, where he again replays his own murder. The human part of Murphy starts to override his programming, and he investigates his murder, revealing corrupt cops in the Detroit PD, including his own police chief. Murphy was about to shoot the chief with a taser that may or may not have killed her, so Omnicorp shuts him down. With the corruption revealed, the sway of public opinion turns and the Dreyfus Act is overturned. But with Murphy overriding his own programming and Clara starting to talk to the reporters, Sellers wants to put a lid on it, so he decides to shut down Robocop, killing Alex Murphy. But Norton goes rogue, setting Murphy free. Robocop is hunted by Omnicorp security and ED-209 droids, but he makes it to Sellers, where Murphy's human side overrides his robot programming, and he shoots Sellers, despite Sellers having a red tag that should have prevented any robots from attacking him. With Sellers dead, Norton rebuilds Murphy, and he is finally reunited with his family in his new silver and black suit as credits roll. A lot to talk about in here. Really a very different type of film than I'm used to when I go to see a reboot action spectacle. I mean, it is a character piece about Alex Murphy. That said, we take a long time before we get to him. We're going to start in, well, really with Sam Jackson and a remote TV unit in Tehran. Right. They're doing a lot of callbacks here. I, I want to just say right out the bat, if you're wondering, if you haven't seen the movie and you're just wondering how close it is to the original Verhoeven, I think plot point wise, it's actually kind of similar. I mean, they do have a lot of interjections with uh, news media, and they are satirical. I think what will feel different is the tone and the comedy is way different. Or rather, I think it's more accurate to say that the comedy is, is minimalized, that this is really played much more seriously. Yeah, it's very subtle take on what Verhoeven did here. I mean, I think most of it is relegated to the Samuel Jackson character, Novak, doing his, I don't know, Sean Hannity, Bill O'Reilly impression here. You know, this very political news pundit type show. But, you know, you get these images. You know, we start off, here's the Ed 209s and the Ed 208s in Tehran, and hey, look how much people love these things. They all look miserable, but they don't play this off as like a hard, ha-ha joke. It's just comparing what this pundit is saying compared to what you're seeing on the screen and connecting the two. They're trying to sell the surprise robot inspections is a great thing, keeping the city safe. The people love it, but no, they're all miserable looking. And they're miserable looking, but what I couldn't help but think is that Sam Jackson is promoting this being in the United States. I have to think, no matter who the peacekeeping force is in your nation, be it human beings, American troops, be it Ed 209 droids, you're not necessarily going to like the people who are there to police your city. But I love some of the subtleness of what they did when they're doing these weapon scans. I really think they made a point to kind of call out, you know, those new airport security scanners that people say let you see yeah. their junk? Yes. <laughs> I think they were going with that kind of a scanner because they, like, go down some grandma and you can, like, see distinct shapes of breasts that you wouldn't necessarily want to and such. I think there are two issues involved here, and I would like to keep them separate. On one hand, we're talking about whether we're cool with the idea that robots can replace humans as law enforcers. 
And I think that that is an open-ended question. I think, well, for one, I think it's in our future, whether we like it or not. And two, I think that robot technology has proven that in many ways they can be superior to humans. I think it is a provocative question. And even though this is being played for mockery, I'm not so robophobic that I don't think that this couldn't work. The separate issue, and this one is much more apparent, is do you want to live in a police state? And I think you're right. Whether it be human or robot, no one wants to walk around with their hands up all day being scanned about whether they are carrying weapons or not and being judged basically by someone that could make a snap judgment and end their life. I mean, we can all agree that what's happened to Turan is horrible. I'm not sure from watching this opening whether having human beings replaced by robots is as bad an idea. And this is, I'm going to say, probably my biggest problem with the film is we're told by this Novak character, look, this is all over the world, this police state, this robotic police state, and it's great. Everyone loves it. We need to bring it here to the U.S. and overthrow this Dreyfus Act. We never see what the streets of America are like. You know, we'll get a few little crime scenes in Detroit, but is America at this point, is it as bad as Tehran or, you know, Afghanistan when the wars are going on? Is America tearing itself apart at this point, or is this just propaganda? Is is Novak just in the pocket of OCP, and they're, you know, giving him kickbacks to promote this? I really wish, you know, if you're going to tell this story about, you know, security versus freedom, that do we embrace this police state? Well, let's see what is the state of the nation at that point. I, I I feel like that was the one miss here is we don't get a sense of what's going on in America. If yes, this is something we really do need to embrace because it's just riots on the streets all the time. Yeah, more to the point, we don't really understand why this faction rebels. That We'll see that there is a family upstairs watching this go down as the on-site, almost the Lisa Gibbons, if you will, is reporting from the streets with her camera and there is a pack of suicide bombers in the next room. They're going to make a point for those television cameras that they're not accepting of these ways. I think, you know, it's important to point out that this is Tehran. This is Iran. And that is a country that we have not, as of this recording anyway, hopefully, engaged in yet. We have not invaded Iran. So I think the point that's being made here mildly, subtly, is this isn't an update on what happened after the Iraq War. It's implying that with technology, we will continue to invade countries that we don't like and take over, and that will create the animosity with these bombers. But it's not clear to me uh, why these guys are are jumping on ED-209s and blowing themselves up. I mean, I can't take it any more than they're just rebelling against what I presume to be a military insurgence against them. And I wasn't sure if they were supposed to be good guys or bad guys they aren't intending to kill anyone except themselves they just want to make a political statement on tv by blowing themselves up but while i do get the police state badness of this scene by the same token these drones are very effective they stop the suicide bombers before they can harm anyone even unintentionally you can't deny that when you are dealing with the ongoing war that America has been engaged in for way too many years and far too many dead soldiers, that there is something attractive about the thought of complete drone warfare that could have this kind of tactical accuracy and save the lives of our troops. Yeah, we should point out here that OCP is much 
much more competent in this reboot. Their machines work. Ed 209s don't go crazy and shoot up civilians. You know, I, I've had that in the back of my mind as you get this news crew and they're like, okay, you have these red tags. That means they're not going to attack you. The robots will not attack you. You have this red light on your wrist or whatever. You expected that to malfunction too, right? <laughs> exactly. But no, here again, this is a different take. This is one where, and maybe it's scarier. It's it's not that Ed 209 is going to malfunction and shoot you up. It's that these are very efficient policing machines and we're just going to go and invade countries for whatever reason because we know we have better technology now and can just rule the world. That may be scarier than a satirical take that Verhoeven had. But I think Sam Jackson is right. We're robophobic. Western movies often portray technology as going to turn against mankind. The Matrix, Terminator, we know that that machine is just waiting to kill us. Hell, the Mangler. We're going to be getting into washing machines in a couple <laughs> weeks here. Yeah, I just think it's a bias and I want that challenged and I am, like I said, keeping it very separate, my feelings about whether it's a bad thing to have robots patrolling and, of course, the obvious bad thing, which is that people have to live in a police state. The conditions by which they're being scrutinized are awful, but the means by which they're being scrutinized, I'm not against yet. Yeah, I think, again, one of the big differences here than what you would see with Verhoeven is this is more of a neutral take. It's up to you to decide whether this is good, as we see here in the beginning with Turan. There's not a whole lot swaying you either way. If you're sympathetic towards these people that have an occupying force, then you might go with the way of the natives there. If you're going, hey, we're keeping them safe or they're not blowing each other up, then you know, you'll know you go with the way of the Americans. The director here, their script, it's not trying to sway you either way. It's just, it's interesting because it's neutral. It's very different than what Verhoeven would have done where he would have a definite opinion of how you should read that scene. I don't necessarily agree that they're not trying to sway you. I think that the police state side is being driven home more but I like that they're leaving a question there for either side. I think I see a anti-police state stance coming loud and clear through this film. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. But again, very different from whether or not it's a good idea to make a robot or a cyborg a neighborhood patrol. If they didn't look so scary, we'd probably be cool with it. If they weren't taking up the whole street. I mean, Ed 209s are just like walking down the middle of the lane. And all the cars, I love that all the cars in this movie are like little minis. They're like little like bumper cars or, or golf carts or something like that. It's The citizens have uh, have been pushed out of the streets. They're either walking or they're in these little cars. And the big things on the road are these robots. I mean, really, we don't spend too long in Tehran. We are there just to get an idea that Omnicorp is credible and can make these robots and primarily to introduce Novak and his ongoing speeches and props to Sam Jackson for what I imagine was just two days on set shouting. <laughs> yeah, it's very little of him actually here. And I feel like you could have cut all of this. What it really does much like in the first RoboCop, as those news reports sort of help with exposition. Whenever you need to do a data dump, uh, we learn a lot of different characters here. We learn who is in control of Omnicorp. We learn who Dreyfus is and that that's going to be the bill that decides whether or not this technology can come into America. It would be hard to establish all of that. You know, they even establish what a red asset is here, and that's playing big into the climax here. There's a lot of stuff that happens in Tehran that is going to play out when we get to Detroit. And let me just say, I didn't know whether we were going to go back to Detroit, but I'm so glad they kept it there. What a great idea. I'm so glad that that remains the city for much of the conflict here. Yeah, I saw the GM building. That's how I knew it was Detroit for real this time. Only it was Toronto, but yeah. <laughs> they photoshopped it in there. <laughs> 
at least the wide cityscapes were Detroit. Not Dallas. Dallas looked cooler. <laughs> not Dallas, not Houston, not Atlanta this time. But yeah, we then get to Omnicorp, which we find out at the very end of the film is a subsidiary of Omni Consumer Products OCP. I was wondering where our OCP was. And Michael Keaton, the CEO... I haven't seen Michael Keaton in a while. <laughs> I don't think anybody has. He did a couple <laughs> of voiceover work, Toy Story 3 or whatever, but I was trying to think about it, and the last time, I think it was Jack Frost. He made this ridiculous movie about a dad that died and became a snowman, and that either made him box off his poison, or he just decided he didn't want to work again. But after that movie, I'm telling you, he just stopped working. And it's only been recently that he's been putting himself on camera again. I'm embarrassed to say that I saw the other guys and he was funny in that as somebody who constantly quotes TLC lyrics. Didn't see it, but yeah, I have noticed. And he's got a couple other movies coming very soon. He It does feel like a recent development that in the last couple years he said, okay, I'm ready to be a different guy again. But it's worth pointing out for folks that only thought of Michael Keaton as Batman is he was a wild and crazy comedian. You would think of him like you would a Will Ferrell uh, back in the early 80s. It's kind of weird that he's become this brainy, aloof guy that barely works. I don't know. I guess it's like Sean Penn. He's got an entirely different body of work in his latter half than he did when he started his career. I think of him very differently. Yeah, I think a lot of comedians go that. I think of Tom Hanks, who doesn't do comedies anymore. Steve Martin and yeah, Michael Keaton. What's great though is you could see that comedic timing. He's delivering straight lines, but you get this sense of sliminess. I don't know. There's something about that comedic talent that he has that works in this role as this swarmy CEO that, you know, he's going to manipulate people. And again, different than the old man, different than Dick Jones here. You know, this old man, uh, kind of aloof and Alzheimer's, I don't know, and Dick Jones, evil. Here, at least at the beginning, I'm going with him. He's persuasive. Again, this is a different OCP or Omnicorp that's competent. Yeah, this is someone that could run the company. I just like that he's conspiring with Commissioner Gordon to create Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, if they didn't want us to think about Nolan and Batman, they shouldn't have cast these guys. Because if I didn't get it from the black suit in the trailer, it, it's very obvious that, yeah, they're trying to get as close to Batman as they can here by putting Keaton and Gary Oldman here. And you want to talk about somebody whose career has changed. I find Gary Oldman, whereas I used to love his complete over-the-top hammy performances, which to me, the epitome of it, my favorite one is in The Professional, but basically Every time I'd see him, he was doing something nutty. And now, the man's a chameleon. I barely even recognized him in this role until about 15 minutes in the movie. I was the same way. I, I'm like, who is that? He looks familiar. And then I, it finally clicked. When he lost the mustache, he just kind of becomes a different person to me. Yeah, and I love it. Let me just say, I'm not such a fan of some of those uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula coming to mind. Some of those over-the-top <laughs> performances. I mean, they can be fun, used sparingly, but as a lead role, yeah. He's got a lead role here. I think that he's really uh, front and center. He's one of the stars of this movie, and I'm glad he dialed it down. I like him in Tinker Tailor or Commissioner Gordon Mould. I like this side of him. I like that he can be quiet. 
He seems thoughtful, and yes, like Keaton, he doesn't seem bad. Whereas the last time with Vorhoven's satire driving home that it was a world filled with evil people, and that it was just for Alex Murphy to get through it alive, here, I think that these people are really wrestling with ethics, and whether it's cool to put a man in a suit, what that means to do for both the company and the product, and to the man. And I love this introductory scene of this section of Omnicorp. It's where we first see Norton as a doctor who does prosthetic limb replacement, and there's a guy who lost both his arms, and he's picking up a guitar for the first time again. And I just think that that scene had a lot of heart to it because more and more we're seeing prosthetics go this way. We're not so far removed from the technology we see in some of these early scenes that to see a human side of it and a doctor who's really pushing the technology because of what it can do for people, not something I expected to see in a Robocop film. No, but love that it's here. And you're right. This is my second favorite scene in the movie. I just think, yeah, it, it has such a nice turn. At first he's playing and the wife is crying. It's great. And then he starts screwing up the notes because, well, when you play music, you play with feeling. He needs to put himself in the music. And that's where we learn that there is a disconnect between emotions and technology, that the more he tries to emote, the more his systems of operation seem to fail. Now, I got to say, as a fan of a, another recent movie about artificial intelligence and the future of technology, Her, I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to this philosophy, that we can't train our technology and our AI to understand feelings, that they're not in some ways representative of the programmers that create them. I'm kind of inclined to believe that one day this problem may be solved, but I understand for this world, for right now, this is the hiccup, that they can't get the machines to jive with the soul of the people. Yeah, this seems almost old world science fiction now, because yeah, her, it, that seemed very cutting edge and very plausible. Now this whole thing about emotions versus computer programming, it feels like something from the, you know, 50 or 60s, almost something Philip K. Dick would do. Yeah, it's anti-technology. It's Again, it's skepticism that the toaster is not going to turn around and kill you. I mean, I just feel like, yeah, it has a really pessimistic view of technology. And I don't know that mine is, but I'm willing to go with it in this world. And I do love this scene. And I don't necessarily take this emotion bit as a pessimistic thing so much as it was interfering with the way the brain communicated with the arms. It was something about the circuitry's controls is how I took it. It was very, I took it as biological, not programming. Right. It seems like something that they could fix, though, through programming. It seems like down the line, this would be ironed out. It's no reason to abandon the technology. Yeah, quite the opposite. You'd push forward and work out the kinks. And Norton, I'm going to say Norton is my favorite character in this movie because he's a man who starts off as completely idealistic. He's here to help people. And when he was hired, he tells Sellers, you told me that there would be no military application of my technology. And this is the first time he's going to have to start compromising his own ideals. And really, his journey is every bit as important to me in this movie as Alex Murphy's, as he has to start wearing down his own humanity and start making compromises for the greater good. The first being, all right, I guess we will do military applications because it will save the lives of police officers, it will save the lives of whoever we're doing this for, and it will also fund my research. Yeah, one of the surprises for me is the relationship that Norton and Robocop are going to have throughout this film that I think the Frankenstein and Frankenstein monster is now 
analogy is easy to make, but you know, this almost father son, there, there is this care that he has about this creation he's made. Again, surprised after watching all these other films, good or bad, that in a Robocop film, we're going for that character driven drama now. Yeah, Vorhoven is gone. Again, that whole snarky cynicism. I mean, they're not playing it for laughs here. They want to see the drama in this. They want to probe and ask the really important questions. And I'll say, I, I said it, I don't think you could do a serious take of Robocop. I'm realizing as I'm watching this, I was wrong, that it is possible you're able to do that serious take now. They found a way to do it. But there's still some humor. They're trying to find a good subject, and they find this one cop who was injured in the line of duty, and then gained 200 pounds after. Yes. Right, yeah. You, yeah. you, you get that RoboCop 2 moment where it feels like they're going through the different candidates and trying the different people out, and everyone's got some issue with them. Either they've gained weight or they got a bad temper. Right, and they even had this psychologist character, this female who's evaluating the profiles of these people and, and deciding. But again, they're not making bad choices. Whereas before, I felt like OCP always made the choice that was about greed or getting the product done. Here, I mean, even the head of the company, the one that realizes that he's, quote, him drink money he's like we're not selling a soft drink here they need to get it right and you get the sense that they're really going to make the right decision so my question is did they pick alex murphy or did it just be happenstance that he is going to be their man in the suit. I took it as happenstance. I really did. I mean, they were looking at multiple candidates. They hadn't found the perfect one. And then finally, we are introduced to Alex Murphy and his family and his partner, Lewis. Jack Lewis. Omar! Anybody that's seen The Wire knows Omar is coming. Yeah, it was great to see him here. I don't care a thing about Nancy Allen. I'm not thinking a thing about her. <laughs> when it kicks off, you do get that original Robocop theme song when Murphy shows up. And yeah, Lewis is in the hospital. Like, some sting went bad, and he's in the hospital. And yeah, I, I was surprised when they said he. Like, I'm like, oh, they're totally doing gender swap here. They, again, another different take here. And we get just enough time with Murphy, a bit more, I think, or at least felt like it than we got in Verhoeven's one, but we get to know what he's investigating that's gone wrong. It's more than just he was called in to stop a single crime. He was investigating this gun runner, drug dealer, Valen, and he's ratted out. And right from the get-go, we know there are two dirty cops. There's always this in a cop movie, right? There's always the other two cops who are snarky usually they're not totally dirty but sometimes they are in this case you know they are and they're the ones who made the sting go bad got lewis shot but not killed and then rat out murphy himself so that they can plant a car bomb and i just have to say during these scenes with joel kinnaman i'm going uh-oh they made a bad casting choice because this guy is lanky and tall and I'm like, they chose an anemic guy so he'd look good in a suit and I'm just not getting a lot of charisma off of him. Human Murphy, I was really worried for this film. Again, I was surprised they didn't take a whole lot of time. I, I believe I said before that, oh, they'll probably take like 45 minutes of character study on this guy. They take a little bit longer than they did with Weller, but not too much longer. But yeah, this Murphy, you know, Weller, he could come off as cold. And when he played in that first Robocop film, he's someone who you get on his side. He's able to bring some warmth to this 
cold robotic character and even as Murphy and he's spinning his gun around there there's something charming about him I never get charming off of this Murphy I never get on his side because he was a cop who died because of some conspiracy and it's a mistake too because I think we really need to see a contrast we get one gunfight and that's all we need and I dare say he handles himself in that gunfight at the restaurant the same way he would have if he had the robot suit so without there being a strong contrast I mean, yeah, it would be depressing not to have your body anymore, but I'm wondering how being RoboCop changes him. I think that we miss character beats by him being so generic here at the beginning. And, you know, I have seen Joel Kinnaman before. He was on the American version of The Killing. It was on AMC. I don't know if you guys watched that show. Who Killed Rosie Larson. It was basically a Twin Peaks ripoff without the surrealism. I gave up before we found out who killed Rosie Larson, and I, I didn't really care about him, but he was one of the main leads of the movie. He's also Swedish. I did try to give him his due. I went back to one of his... He made a trilogy of movies about drug dealing called Easy Money, and I I didn't get past the first one. It it didn't really do anything for me. I just think that he's got a look that's appealing, but I haven't seen a lot of there there yet in any other roles. And yes, in this introductory scene either. I'm just not getting a lot. You say he's Swedish. Is he covering up an accent with this bad accent here? Yeah, yeah. And he had that in The Killing, too. That is his attempt to be street American. Oh, uh, uh. Yeah, I didn't know who Joel Kinnaman was going in. I'd looked him up in IMDb ahead of time just to try to find him out. And he'd been in some stuff I saw, but never really like paid attention to on television. So when he was here, I wasn't sure what to get. And these early scenes, there's brief moments where I like him. I like the scene that's in the trailer when he's putting his son to bed and tells his son to kiss his mother and then he goes too slow and all that. There's moments of charisma. And it's telling that the people in the trailer honed in on that because, yeah, they want this guy to come across as quickly as possible. He's an unknown factor. They approached a lot of A-listers before they wound up with Joel here. I mean, everybody kind of went through this list. Keanu, Tom Cruise, Michael Fassbender... And oddly enough, most of them have gone on and done their own little robot projects. But yeah, I think they were looking for a lot of different people before they decided to go with an unknown. I think going with an unknown is right. I think Peter Weller was pretty unknown when he did RoboCop. I think you gain a lot by taking someone and making them RoboCop. You know, we have no previous association with them. I think that was a good impulse. But yeah, Joel, I don't know. He's got a good look. I mean, he's more imposing than Peter Weller. He's taller. He's bigger. He's a tall son of a bitch compared to everybody else in this film. Either that or everyone around him was tiny. Or we're just coming off of Prime Directives. (laughs) RoboCop was the shortest person. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely corrected the problem there. But physically, I like him. When he gets into that suit, I do like him. But uh, as a family man, you know, I don't put it all on him. I do not like his family. I like that they made them a part of this story, but this wife and this son, they're more robotic than anything else in this movie. She gives me nothing Abby Cornish in this movie, uh, to the point that I really wish if there was one recast I could do, it would be her. Later on, I come more around to this family. It, everything seems cold. When we, we get this whole scene, and he comes home, and the son is watching hockey on his futuristic iPad and that moment where they're kissing and they start making, I don't know, everything seems kind of cold and distant. There's not a whole lot of warmth with this family. I I thought maybe that would play a bigger part, but as the film plays on, 
she wants to be with her husband. The son wants to be with his dad. Do they? They say it, but I don't see it in their eyes. Did you see that scene where she comes out after he's been blown up? She kneels over like she's looking at a like a garden spider or something. I mean, <laughs> well, that's probably what was there before they CGI'd everything in. <laughs> Must have been. But yeah, she's either not used to the technological tweaks that mean she's playing against nothing. I don't know. I really did have a big problem with her throughout the movie because they keep her in here. Unlike Warhoven's vision, the wife is not yanked out of the picture and remains a distant memory. She's a character in this too. And yeah, we need to want her and Robocop to end up together. I don't. That is the big twist to this Robocop that separates the plot of the last two. In the last one, Alex Murphy was dead. And they had a corpse that they said they could do with whatever they want. Here... They need to keep up the illusion that Alex Murphy is alive and in control because they won't allow machines on the streets. And so by leaving his consciousness completely intact, by just removing the single step of wiping the brain, and I do wonder, we mentioned this in the very first podcast we did, if that arm stayed that hand just because of the line in the last one, lose the arm. But the key here is... Alex Murphy, the person, is still in that brain, and then what is the rest of him after the car bomb? Yeah, when we see his body, when they show a picture of him in the hospital, what? he's only missing in an arm and a leg, and he's got third-degree burns, and he's blind in one eye. I thought he had both arms. Yeah, he had both arms, but he had fourth-degree burns. I'd never even heard of such a Nuh-uh. thing. Never heard of that, yeah. <laughs> oh, did they say fourth-degree? That's they not did. a thing. So I guess I just replaced it with third-degree in my head. What does that mean, that you're just ash? What yeah. could that even be? <laughs> they did some good skin grafts then, because he was burned all over, and once he comes back as RoboCop, he's got clear skin. And eyebrows yes his eyes are fine yeah i'm not sure how they fixed all the bio material on him all the skin and cells and all that but they have some good technology there i'm guessing that his eyes were robotic prosthetics because they said he would be blind in at least one eye and probably deaf when he comes back out of it he has two good eyes and can hear what's being said to him so there's a lot more of robot to him i mean I was taken back to Star Wars, both the line, he's more machine than man, and then General Grievous, because they show us pretty quick what's left of Alex Murphy, and it's face and lungs, and then this floating hand. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know how when you get a collagen in your lips, they take it out of your ass or whatever, maybe they repaired his face by taking away, oh, I don't know, 80% of his torso (laughs) and sticking it there. I mean, my God, when you see what he's lost, whether it was because it was burned and they had to scratch it away or because they realized it wasn't useful to what they needed it's horrifying yeah i mean head on a stick is pretty much what i'm getting out of this yeah Stuart, you really talked about in the first film how you had this sympathy for weller's character for murphy because it was like this man trapped in this machine that he didn't want to be in i'm like i don't know it's kind of got cool powers and he's a superhero now but yeah this is where they sell the horror in this film this is Mm. where they sell the horror of being robocop like this is going to be a different take is you know i chuckled at first because they pull his legs away kind of like a an action figure you know i remember taking my gi joes apart and swapping limbs and that and that's how it looked and then they take an arm off and then they remove the entire torso and it's like a jar with lungs in his heads and it is a chilling looking yeah and i have just minutes ago dinged kinnaman's acting 
But this concept is one that hit me hard because it does make you wonder what is the essence of humanity and what if you were in an accident and this is what was left of you hooked up to basically, I mean, what the RoboCop suit is beyond a tactical machine. It's a life support machine and he is on life support and all that's left of him is just this hunk of tissue. I mean, like they said in RoboCop 2, you're not even a corpse. Hell, I was fucked up by a RoboCop 2 when we see Kane's jokey brain and eyes in a jar. Imagine what this was doing to me. This is where the actor wins me over when he starts tearing up and just begging to be killed. This actually made that whole RoboCop 2 funny sequence where they go through all these different models and they're all committing suicide. I'm like, now I get it. This sucks. Yeah, I credit both of these actors who were in this scene because it's just Kinnaman and Oldman having a conversation with some obvious blue screening effects. But the face acting we get out of Kinnaman in this scene, plus the way Oldman's playing it, this scene immediately takes everything I was feeling about Murphy, all my disdain, and flushes it. And from this moment on in this movie, I'm Team Kinnaman. It's kind of anti-Avatar, don't you think? You know, it's like, in Avatar, there was a guy that couldn't walk, and then he gets a new body, and it's great! Oh my god, this is terrific! Now, you're right, it's a prison. There's nothing left of me, and I'm imprisoned in this form. You totally are with him when he freaks out. And you're impressed that Gary Oldman lets him freak out. They're just like... All right, turn him on, give him his spine, give him his hands, let him go run. Let him go get this out of his system. Let's see what he does. The trust that they're establishing here is good. It makes me feel like, yeah, Oldman doesn't want to control him. He wants to help this guy get better. And I like that Oldman, there's all these people around him saying, let's shut him down. Let's pull the plug and turn him off. Oldman always tries to go the human route. This whole movie, whenever Robocop goes bad, he just takes the screaming Alex in his face (laughs) and trying to deal with him like he's a human and is very resistant to dealing with him like he's a machine. No directives here to make him shut down it's let's see what he's gonna do yeah he's human but he also feels very much like a scientist he wants to see maybe a, a philosopher scientist what is the human condition when you stick it in a machine and he wants to see how that plays out and i like that they let him do that this isn't about omnicorp creating a, it is about omnicorp creating a product but when oldman's here He's bringing that side where, well, let's see what this would actually be like. To me, now, again, moving from satire, now to harder science fiction, where we're delving into some of those deeper ideas. Yeah, we weren't disoriented enough. I was really thrown to find out we weren't still in Detroit. When he gets to run in there, and all of a sudden I'm seeing a lot of Asian people and pink scrubs, I'm like, "Mm, is Detroit really going to be like this? But they're not. (laughs) They're in China. What I found very funny is when Novak had his opening scene, He talks about American machines, and I just thought in the back of my mind, yeah, American machines probably made in China, and now we see that is exactly the case. Yeah, it's a wonderful reveal. Yeah, when he runs through that assembly line, what is he, in Foxconn, where they assemble iPhones and iPads, you know, all these Chinese assembly line workers, and I love that reveal. He jumps over the wall, and he's in these rice patties. It's a cool vision. And I love the robo-vision here. It just, like, takes the Terminator vision to a new level where he's got the trajectories that he's going to be leaping and all of that and man he runs fast i'm like i know later on he's going to be on a motorcycle i don't know why he needs one Uh, cut down on the friction of those pistons pumping back and forth i guess plus you got to be able to sell another toy arnie come on think about it (laughs) 
And speaking of toys, we do get the scene back at OCP where we've got Jay Baruchel from This Is The End and a number of other movies. Uh, he was in Tropic Thunder, speaking of rice patties. I was thinking Simple Jack because uh, I have watched Tropic Thunder way too much. But yeah, he's playing the Bob Morton character. It's funny, even though I realize this is a very different take, I'm still replacing all the characters with the old Verhoeven ones to kind of orient myself. I like that he's in marketing and they're looking at the different looks at the beginning. Murphy is in a more classical Robocop suit and he even shows the Transformer where he can turn into a car. I was laughing at that. Yeah, this. kids love the transforming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like they're having some fun here talking about, you know, throwing back to the old Robocop film, kind of taking a jab at Transformers. It was in Robocop 2. One of the ones that killed himself had the little, like, red and blue flashing lights on him. I also have to wonder if Padilla isn't making a commentary about what it is to work with the studio for the first time. I mean, keep in mind, he's had total creative control his whole filmmaking career down in Brazil, and now he's making a product for MGM here. That they are implying that it should be like Transformers? I bet he got a lot of notes about that. I bet that this was a real battle to get his vision, what is there is of it, here in this movie. Yeah, I did read that he fought with the studio a lot for all the ideas he would submit. They only let one or two in, and I think he actually got in trouble for speaking critical towards MGM, and he had to kind of turn it around and show up with a smile and say, nah, he didn't mean that stuff. Yeah, he said that it was the worst experience of his life. I can believe that. I mean, the comparative, really, again, I go back to those Brazilian Elite Squad movies, and there's just a mile a minute, there's a new idea and a new direction happening all of the time here. Here, I feel like they're being dispensed much more slowly, and that the framework still pretty much is that 1987 Robocop movie. At the end of the day, it's telling the same story, he's just getting to tweak it every now and then, and when he pops his head up, I really do enjoy it. But yeah, he's struggling to deliver a product that MGM is going to want to sell. His vision is darker than, I think, what the studio wants to put out there. And I'm realizing during these scenes, because we spend quite a bit of time in China, and with Murphy coming to terms with his new body here, and Skyping with his wife and not wanting her to see his body, I realize that this seems to me like hard sci-fi. It's a character study. It truly is a movie titled RoboCop that is about the journey of a man into a RoboCop that I don't know that will have the mass appeal of a superhero action film. This one is more cerebral and more of a character study, and I'm enjoying it, but I understand that that isn't a broad taste type of thing right now. The difference is, of course, superheroes is wish fulfillment. We all wish we could get blasted with radioactivity and grow wings and fly or do all of that. Nobody is going to watch this and say, boy, I wish I could get blown up and get put in that suit. Nobody. I mean, it is a nightmare. You are watching him try to reclaim whatever is left of his humanity here, but it's a real struggle. And yeah, the more he goes along, he's not being self-actualized. He's being compromised. Oldman is being told to make him better because he's not living up to the standards of the robots that don't have people in them. And so they're basically having to shut down the emotive part of his brain in order to get him to be competitive. Yeah, and this is just more of Norton's compromising. The first compromise there is they bypass his brain because he's too slow. He's thinking like a human. So they make him 
think he's in control and they even call it the illusion of free will oh it's evil isn't it oh Oh, that is so evil and you want to know what i'm thinking at this moment in the film is that we the three of us have the illusion of free will that we chose to do this robocop retrospective this is what marketing is marketing makes us think we want to see robocop marketing tells our friends they want to see robocop marketing gets us to review robocop making more people think they want to see robocop to hear the review of robocop it's happening today it's just more efficient if there's a chip in your brain boy if i had come to that conclusion just a couple podcasts ago i could have unplugged and spared myself all those prime directives (laughs) but there is an evil character here finally like i said i felt like most of omnicorp is in the gray here they are people that are striving to do their best but there is one truly heinous guy here and i'm glad to see him we needed a villain by this point and we get him with maddox is he a villain i'm gonna yes. argue that he's he's nasty yes. but he is efficient he is the creator and the overseer of the military robot program you don't want a hippie in that job you want a <laughs> badass no that's true jack earl haley here again another person took me a while to realize who it was i'm like Looks familiar. Who is that guy? He's Freddy. Nah, he's not Freddy. (laughs) That failed. Come on. That's a reboot we don't need to discuss. Shutter Island? (laughs) Watchmen? He had a mask on most of that time. And hair. Yeah, Watchmen, I think, was his biggest platform to be uh, big and and to, to have a leading role. But we do see him at the beginning of this film. He's the one leading that news crew and saying, hey, you're gonna be all right. That's what's so weird is, you know, before he seems like a military leader, he does take on, I think, he is supposed to be the traditional bad guy here. He's the one that is critical of RoboCop. The audience is on RoboCop's side. He's the one that's saying because he's half a second slower than the Ed 208s that he's obsolete. He's no good. He's trying to shoot him down. It feels like a sports movie, right? Like, you know, it's like he's the elite team, the, the yuppies that are always win the medals, and RoboCop's got to be the underdog to win the race here. It feels like that when they're setting up this conflict. But you know he's evil because he's mean. I mean, he doesn't just say this guy is inefficient. He plays If I Only Had a Heart and calls him the Tin Man. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that got a laugh out of my audience, and I agree he's definitely a nasty character, but I just, I don't see him as evil. Oh, yeah, okay, fair enough, yes. Yeah, yeah there's shadings even to their evil, but he is our most clear-cut villain we've had so far. Up to this point, if you've been waiting for the snarky villains of Verhoeven, there have been none to be found. With the exception of those dirty cops, I would say that nobody is clearly all bad. Yeah, there's no real Boddicker in this film. Right. Even the Boddicker character <laughs> isn't Boddicker. No, yeah. not at all. But I like the Maddox character in this. I like that... He's the one who's going to shine a light on the efficiency to say, is this really working? Bring in the robot expert to judge the cyborg. And I'm really glad this isn't his only scene because we have the training scene where they finally have a shootout and it's Maddox and a bunch of drones against RoboCop. It's a first time with the tactical suit and RoboCop having lost his free will but not knowing it, is able to defeat Maddox. I kind of thought that would be the end of the Maddox character. I was really happy when he comes back in Detroit. No, I had a feeling because, yeah, they showed him in the beginning. They made sure that we knew who he was. I had a feeling he would be coming back again and again. Plus, he is just, I mean, Jackie's got that weasel face. I mean, he just you just know that he's going to be a thorn in the side here. And it's with the visor up. 
I want to point out that Murphy tasers him. He doesn't do it as a robot. It's the human being in him that wants to taser the guy at the end of that training drill here. I, I think they've set up a real foe for him to battle in the rest of the movie. Now, I don't play video games, but did you guys get a little Halo from all of that session? I got a lot of video game from a lot of the action scenes here. When they that visor comes down, I guess when Robocop feels threatened, that visor comes down. Yeah, and the film goes into video game mode here. Whatever, if it's Halo or I don't know, whatever. I don't play a lot of video games. I'm not sure. There's just a ton of first-person shooters, whichever one you want to go to. I definitely did get a video game feel here. I was very happy, though, Jacob. I was thinking of you. Because he had two guns and was shooting in two different directions. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, what I find interesting, Vorhoven's RoboCop, that was a film essentially about a machine becoming a man. We get the slow reveal of Murphy's face, you know, first the mask and the eye hole, and then he takes that off, and the film ends with, you know, his face. Here, it goes back and forth. When RoboCop goes into combat mode, the visor comes down, and I'm assuming that's when the program takes over, but when that comes up, when he shocks Maddox, he's doing that of his, I guess, free will he, he has yeah. free will at those moments De yeah. he definitely does yeah because it's a later compromise where he doesn't even have that that's after he gets back to detroit and they realize that he can't handle the upload of the police database that they have to shut it all down this is the one logic flaw of this whole movie i actually think this movie does a good job of establishing its rules and creating a reality that i can buy into the way it introduces me to artificial limbs and then takes me to head and lungs man i buy all of it what I don't buy is we're minutes away from the big press conference reveal of RoboCop. <laughs> hey, let's upload all of these files. <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah, aren't you asking for trouble? Don't even give him a good shine. I mean, when <laughs> you've got a system and it's working the way that you want to present it, you don't do anything until the cameras are off of him. Let him have his little photo op, and then you can try to upload the program. I did feel like they were poking some fun with the way a lot of press conferences go or reveals go. I mean, maybe they're having some fun with that where you're trying to push out the whole PR piece. That's when the mistakes happen, when you're trying to get all this stuff done at the last minute. But it did seem like an odd choice to do the upload 10 minutes before he's supposed to do a press conference. You're asking for trouble, and of course you get it, because, yeah, he can't handle it. Help me out why. It's specifically because it's so emotional to process that much violence and that much crime? Is, is it the overwhelmingness of being exposed to the images that he can't handle? No, it was his own death. That's what I took as he was fine with all of it. He was doing just fine. It was It was a lot to handle, but he was okay with it. Until they uploaded his own death or attack, the car bomb, and then he had to deal with that. That seems like if they're behind it, they should have actually omitted that anyway. That seems like a real oversight on the villain's part with <laughs> doing that. But okay. Yeah, I agree. This was kind of flimsy. My reading was, it looked like he's starting to go into whatever these seizures were just because he had this programming to solve crimes. And they've uploaded at this point like 800 unsolved crimes in Detroit into his head. And he's like, I got to solve these. But yeah, the crash to the system was seeing his own death, which again, a big mistake. You'd probably delete that file or not upload it to him. That's it? That's disappointing to me that that was the trigger, but it is a driving force. Hey, if you had to see your own death, wouldn't that be traumatizing? <laughs> no, 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 no. But I, I just feel like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. He does know that he's Murphy. There is no memory wipe. He does know he's Murphy, and he would know that that's him being killed. But that means the whole operation, what it should do is make it 
the highest priority that he go find out who killed him. But that storyline takes a while to build. I actually feel like this is the point in the movie where they kind of get caught between two plots and it's just not as tight for the rest of the film. Yeah, almost three plots because you've got Murphy who is just a robot with a human face at this point because they've removed his emotions, they've removed his control, but damn, he is efficient. And I don't know that he's doing anything that a good computer couldn't do. Is it because he has a human brain that he has better processing power? But all he's really doing is looking at a video and then looking at all of the cameras currently to do facial recognition matches. I'm pretty sure the NSA has that right now. (laughs) Right. And they're using it to stop us from pirating films. The step that's missing is that having that computer then go tell the functional flesh and blood cop to get his ass up and go arrest. I think that's the difference is maybe they're saying humans are dragging their feet on the issue, whereas a RoboCop would jump right on the cycle. At his own press conference, he's not shaking hands. He's jumping out into the crowd and tasering a anonymous murderer that was watching. I almost thought this would be the Ed 209 moment from Verhoeven's where, oh, they're going to switch it up and RoboCop's going to malfunction because he totally goes cold. They say he's like a zombie and he's just scanning everyone, won't shake anyone's hand. He's looking for criminals. And I thought maybe if this is going to be a film about us, you know, not trusting the NSA, not wanting the police state, about a Frankenstein's monster, maybe this is where the people raise the pitchforks. Maybe you do have RoboCop. I I felt like almost, are they going to make him the villain in this film or or take on that malfunctioning role? That might have been an interesting way to go. There's no way they would, MGM would let him. No, and I don't think it's the right choice. I mean, to have him fail is, that's the cynical technology fails mantra that I would like just get away from. I'm glad that this movie is not saying, oh, well, if we put a man in a suit, it's not going to work. It's saying it is going to work. It's going to work really well. The robo-ethics of it is that the more that he has to be like a machine, the less he can respond to his family. He doesn't acknowledge his son. He shoots the guy in front of his son. That's the problem that we're supposed to be having, is that he isn't looking like a good father figure. Yeah, he's not Alex Murphy anymore. He's turned that off. He's investigating the crimes, and that continues. And yeah, we do spend a lot of time here, though. The people are happy with the RoboCop, and it changes the tide nationwide so that senators now are feeling pressured by their constituents to overturn the Dreyfus Act. Most responsive, like, Congress ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just gotta say that. 50-50, that's pretty good odds. I don't think you could get anything past these days on those odds. But yeah, the, the country is polled 50 to 50 on whether or not we should have more RoboCops. But keep in mind, they did say in one of the very early scenes that Omnicorp has thrown money at senators on both sides and they just needed to not piss off their constituents. At 50-50, a bought senator can do what he needs to. Sure. And does. Once we get towards the vote, it, it actually wins pretty handily. But that's what I mean. There's two plots here. There's the plot about, are we going to get robots on the streets, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? And then there's the more traditional vigilante plot. The thing that we think Robocop should be focusing 100% on, but he isn't. He's sometimes blowing up drug labs and doing other things. He's blowing off his partner, who he told they were going to go catch Valen, and doing other stuff. What's funny is when he was reunited with Lewis, I thought that scene had so much more emotion than when he was reunited with his wife and son. I'm telling you, (laughs) I don't like those wife and son. I mean, he went back and the boy's like, I saved all the hockey games on my computer. And he's like, well, I can't watch them now. I have to live somewhere else. And then he gets to Lewis, man, it's good to see you. You're the right color now. We're going to get that Valen. 
Alan. I was like, wow. You know, they often have the joke that you're closer to your police partner than you are to your wife. In this case, I definitely see that. Yeah, I attributed that to the miscasting of the wife and son. It's not that they shouldn't be here. It's that those scenes should sting when we get to them. And, you know, he used it very effectively. It's totally lifted from Elite Squad. There is very much that second movie. There's his son was raised by a guy that was in the police force and then the wife remarries a liberal professor and is told that his father is a fascist. So I like that as a conflict. I've seen the director make it work, but here, mostly because these actors are giving me nothing, I don't care about this family. I kind of think it's a mistake that if we're going to have these people that they keep popping up and complaining about their emotional trauma. Again, I like that there is that story that with this family. That was one of the big criticisms with RoboCop 2 is you had that moment mm-hmm. and then it's just played off. It, it's a two-minute moment and then it goes away. I, I like that they're addressing that fact if it's well known that this is Alex Murphy and the wife is still in the picture. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad they're doing it, but my point is to do it badly or to do it in a way that doesn't make me feel anything isn't necessarily a great improvement over not doing it at all. Yeah, and it's not the writing. It's I think it's solely on the acting of these two. I'll disagree. I think that there's some writing issues here as well. I think at this point, the script starts to get a little muddled. There's yes. not a lot of time spent with the family. I can't damn these actors to a purgatory for this movie because I'm not sure that the script did them a lot of justice. We have the one reunion scene, then Murphy goes cold. Primarily, we see the family through Omnicorp's eyes. They like say, oh, you got to watch out for this wife. She might go to the press. We don't see this from the wife's side. We never get a chance to see the wife's side. What we see is Omnicorp's view of the wife, and they don't like her either. Yeah, I think the problem with the film is there's this better dramatic story with the family, with Murphy trying to be man or machine, but they're trying to put it, you know, that montage where RoboCop goes and he shoots the guy at the liquor store and steps into the hostage situation. You know, I feel like you do have to have that moment, but they've turned RoboCop so cold at this point when he first shows up in Verhoeven, it feels like an action film. Here, he is a zombie and he is so robotic. It doesn't feel like this triumph. This isn't the return of RoboCop that we've been waiting for. And so let's stick with that harder dramatic story they've been telling. And I'm also going to ding the writing for this middle section in not making that journey for RoboCop more interesting. I really do feel like it's a mistake that I don't see him evolve. I mean, first half of this movie, Alex Murphy is a puppet. I pity him and I feel for him. But I do believe that if you're going to make a movie about RoboCop, we need to see him in the second half come to some kind of terms about the suit he's in and if not exactly like his circumstance, at least use it to a good that he wants to see achieved. I never really understand, because RoboCop's missions are so scattered, what he really wants for the rest of the movie. I guess he wants to bring his killer to justice, but it's just not really driven home by either the performance or the writing. Yeah, I think that it's a little bit too convenient that all he has to do is go to his house and then replay the video of his own murder, and that is the character evolution. It's one scene of him alone revisualizing the uploaded video in his head, and now all of a sudden he's going to go after his own murderer, and with Visor Up, use 
lethal tactics or at least very torturous tactics standing on the hand of some guy who when he was a human cop dealt with and torture him until he gets the information to track down Valen. I'm wondering how I would feel if this had the Vorhoven ultraviolence. Now this is a PG-13 movie and I did start to notice it particularly when he goes after Valen in the warehouse. I'm like ah, he's just kind of tasering everybody. Yeah he tasers a lot of people in this film. Yeah I can't tell whether they die like, is it a shock enough to kill them? And I do think that that's important. I mean, in order to, to know how to feel about Robocop, is he going around being a fascist or is he tasering people where maybe ordinary cops would have to kill them? I mean, I can't tell whether this is an improvement to law enforcement or the next step beyond. It seems to me like it's the next step of police brutality. Now they got these robotic suits where they can crush your hand and they're going to make you shit in your pants if you don't tell them where this drug dealer is. Like, when he puts that visor up, that's the problem. If that's when he's going by free will, he is now abusing his power. But he's not. It's worth pointing out that visor trick was only back in China. Now that he's here in Detroit, visor up, visor down... He's pretty much their puppet, except you're right. He did play that video, and now he's not obeying. I'm confused. I think is what I'm really saying is I don't know how much Alex is guiding this character at this point. Telling a stoner they have two choices to either tell you where the drug dealer is or I'm going to make you crap your pants. I don't think that comes programmed in a microchip. I think Visor Up is still Murphy, but it's a cold, compassionless Murphy. They removed emotion not free will. So he doesn't care about his wife. You take away the emotion. You no longer love your wife. You don't even like anyone. You, everybody is all the same to you. Why would you shake their hand? And if you have all of this knowledge of crime and you are a dedicated cop who wants to stop it, you just become, you know, virtually Vulcan. And here with the visor up, I think he's still in control. It's not the program telling him what to do. And in fact, they say he's overriding the program. He, with the visor down, has prioritized this as murder number one against Omnicorp's prioritization algorithm. And something I don't get from the movie it was really only in sort of the garble of the climax. When he eventually gets to Valen, there's a link between Valen and Michael Keaton. There is? No. The link is with the two PIs and the police chief. So it's separate. No, Omnicorp is much less sleazy in this film. They didn't set up cops to die. But at the same time, he did get Jackie Earl... Haley to tap in the feed and shut him down. Is that concern over PR or is that because he doesn't want them to find a link all the way back to them? I couldn't tell. Yeah, there is a line where they said if he could solve his own murder, then he might start investigating us and things we might have done. I don't think there's a link. They're just worried about their creation turning on them and, you know, okay. finding their tax evasion files or something. Right. And my take on the reason Jackie Earl Haley takes him down is because he is shooting tasers. This is something very important that we haven't really noted is Paul Verhoeven was ultraviolent. Everyone had bullets and lots and lots of squibs. Squibs, yes. This one, there's a lot of action, but he's constantly shooting tasers. So he's mostly non-lethal, but it is known that tasers can kill people who have conditions, and they bring that up here, that the taser could kill. Haley pulls the plug because he's about to shoot the police chief, who is dirty, with a taser at point-blank range, and with the sheer impact, it's likely to kill her and be a PR nightmare. The robot has gone rogue. Haley isn't evil and on the take from this cop and saving her life. 
He's just doing what he's there to do. If the robot starts going nuts and going to harm people, shut it down. I do feel like, though, he wants to shut it down. He's looking for any reason to shut RoboCop down. Sure. But he could have shut RoboCop down the moment RoboCop started going rogue and setting his own priorities. He waits until there's a human life on the line. Maybe because it'll be his ass and his job if he shuts down Omnicorp's big PR success too early and he needs to have a damn good reason to justify why he does it but he does wait until that last moment okay all right so it's two separate villains the valen storyline and michael keaton sellers they are not in cahoots or at least if they are it's so tenuous that not worth exploring right i thought for sure there would be a tie like that omnicorp was doing an iran contra type of thing where they were supplying valen with the guns yeah yeah i thought for sure that there would be some kind of outcome like that but really i didn't think it would be keaton because keaton comes off a little bit steve jobs ish to me in this i mean he's wearing black a lot and he's saying people don't know what they want until you give it to them so he doesn't come off as the kind of person who would be directly involved with selling guns to a criminal either and i don't think any of his supporting cast members there are low level enough either it would have had to have been a really really tenuous connection but instead yeah you've got two different villains and it really becomes more confusing because i mean valen is taken out unceremoniously in a really well shot action scene i mean i love the tricks here use of light that is used but when that's over robocop eventually is going to go after michael keaton for attempted murder and it's just because keaton tried to kill the alex murphy part well yeah they decide that better than a hero is a dead hero and so they're gonna take him offline they're gonna kill him that is their crime in this film that turns robocop against him not that they were running guns but that totally unrelated they decide to kill him once they've won the vote and repealed the act and i don't even understand how that vote gets repealed they bring in a cyborg because they don't like robots and so the cyborg is a success and now they like the robots all of a sudden they did it's not like the robot was doing it well it was but the people don't know that yeah i think it was just to show them that look you could trust something that's mechanical it is a very thin connection yeah yeah i think what you guys are articulating is what i was feeling as we get towards our climax here is that as much as i was appreciating the initial complexity the execution in the second half i'm not following it i'm not totally getting the reasons and it's making me very distant i'm getting frustrated because i'm not rooting for robocop at this point and i want something to root for and i'm not on his side when this is happening the only time i kind of like him is is when he goes off book and shoots those two dirty cops on that i was kind of like yeah because i i wasn't expecting it it felt like it was a step beyond i think it's the tasers i think i really needed to see him really killing people the tasering makes me believe that he's a neutered pet i don't know i don't see him as a scary vigilante maybe this detroit has passed that law from prime directives where they're not allowed to kill anyone well i also think it's a 21st century look at cops more and more cops are carrying tasers yes sometimes they use their guns but tasers as non-lethal law enforcement especially if you're going for a pr move yeah i think 
it actually rings more true in addition to helping a PG-13 rating that he has these tasers, but it does make him less dangerous. The most harmful thing he does, he does kill Valen. He picks up a real gun and kills Valen. Right. I guess that's what I'm saying is I would like to see more of that. I, if indeed this is a story about someone that has been corrupted, which is what they've been telling me, that it's a bad thing that he's in this black suit. He's in Venom. He's not in Spider-Man. Then I guess I want to see him be more extreme, that he's tasering people that they feel like they have to shut him down because he's about to zap the woman in her office. To me, that doesn't show somebody that's out of control. Again, I don't think they want to shut him down because of that. It's just because he served his purpose if saying he died in the line of duty revealing this police corruption that will make him more of a hero. Plus, they won't have him turning against Omnicorp and start investigating any crimes that they might be involved in. It is convoluted. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it all comes down to the fact that they're starting to not be as PR-friendly. The wife is starting to talk and say bad things about Omnicorp. Once that act is repealed, they don't need RoboCop. They could put Ed-208s back on the assembly line. And they waste no time. Ed-209s are in the lobby within the hour. I just took it like that's their security. That at Omnicorp, yes, you know, that's private property. They could have whatever robots they want police it. (laughs) Well, no, they have not been there until this moment but yeah the act has been overturned so now they can have them it would have been illegal for them to have that as their private police force even if they would have wanted it but now they can have it and soon they can put it out on the streets and what i'll say is my favorite part of this final act comes back to gary oldman's dr norton because as i said we've seen him make compromise after compromise on his principles from no military application to some military application to but it's really helping him to taking away the free will to taking away the emotion now it's time to break that final straw and kill alex murphy and throughout the movie we have seen that father-son relationship and i'll say the movie fools me because norton says all right i'll do it but i want funding for 10 years and his family better be damn well taken care of and because i'm still riding this line between mercy killing murphy wanted to die initially and murder i can see both sides of it i don't know which way norton is gonna go until it's revealed that he was fooling michael keaton and he's actually saying i'll kill murphy and then conspiring to free him yeah it did fool me i i thought okay now we're gonna have something with murphy turning on norton here but no norton was playing sellers all along i agree i like that complexity what i'm kind of confused about is can you tell me the point in the movie where murphy decided that he wanted to stay alive that the point that he decided i absolutely have to stay in the suit that there's something worth fighting for that's what i feel like is missing here i get that Oldman wants to save him, but I don't know why Alex wants to save himself. I mean, if you're going to ask that question now, you could have asked it at any point. Why didn't he turn the gun on himself and shoot himself? I mean, I don't think they addressed that. They have that moment that gets our sympathies where he's like, please kill me. They tell us that initially that he kind of goes along with it. His wife signed the consent form, so you get the sense that, okay, he's not staying alive for himself. He's doing it for them. But I would have liked to have seen him at some point be committed to who he was as RoboCop. I just don't see that moment of I'm RoboCop. I feel like this movie... I'm not saying we needed a a superhero here, but I do think he needed to become a hero or at least an admirable character. And he's he's still kind of looking like a stooge in this finale. And the fight when he's going after Valen is the best 
action scene in this movie, the way it's shot and everything. When Robocop's going up against Ed 209s and it just looks like CGI fakery. You were the one pleading for CGI after Verhoeven. I know, but I want good CGI. When he's riding the back of Ed 209, I just keep thinking to Anakin back on Naboo <laughs> yeah. riding that creature's back. Jeez. And that's never a good thing to think of. And I'm just not feeling excitement. I like seeing Ed 209 in action, but these scenes and when he's going after sellers for attempted murder and i'm like why is this attempted murder and all of it i get the emotional struggle that it's still man versus machine and we got to replay the beat from the first one where you can't hurt an ocp person well here it's you can't hurt someone who has the red tag wristband on but it's just the getting to the rooftop i'm marveling that the writers were able to keep the wife and son on the <laughs> rooftop through means that seemed logical but the rest of it just isn't playing yeah you know this should be the biggest action piece of the film you multiple ed 209s not just one we're getting multiple there seems like to be three or four to me it's just muddy i'm never clear what action is going on you know at one point jackie earl haley's going after robocop calling him the tin man and lewis comes in and shoots Haley's character and I'm like where did he come from it's just it's not very clear storytelling this last action scene not coherent that really frustrated me too because I thought that they set up Maddox as a villain to fight I felt like the fight that he has with Keaton should have been the fight that he has with Jackie that it should have been where he overcame the red asset technology was the thing to overcome when you're dealing with the tech guy that would have been the right moment I don't buy that Keaton is so bad that he would hold the wife and son at gunpoint. I don't buy the way that it plays out on the roof. It just feels phony. He doesn't hold him at gunpoint like he's Hans Gruber in Die Hard. He just kind of is showboating. He's an egomaniac who's like, you can't touch me. I could shoot your wife and kid right now. He's not planning on shooting the wife and kid. He has no desire to shoot the wife and kid. He's just trying to put Robocop in his place. Yeah, I think one of the most disappointing things in this film is how robocop i guess overcomes the red band technology like i love that scene in verhoven where prime directive four you can't attack a ocp senior official so the old man's got to fire dick jones and then he's able to shoot him here just the will of his soul is able to overcome it that seems so cheesy to me no i like that this whole movie has built up to the human side overriding the programming and the question is is he still Alex Murphy or has he been programmed and corrupted to the point that he is RoboCop? In the end of RoboCop, he is RoboCop. He cannot overcome his own programming. Here, Alex Murphy can overcome. And I think that's a triumphant moment that I love the humor of the first one. You're fired. Thank you. And the gun firing. But here, this seems to be more dramatically fulfilling for the character of Alex Murphy. Except it's backwards. Because when you're emotional, when you're human, the mechanics are supposed to fail. And here, he gets a really good shot off because he's able to not be the robot. It's kind of the opposite of what they set out with the guitar player. I expected that to come up the whole time, is that he'd get emotional and his limbs would start to, like, flail and he'd lose control. I honestly thought... They wouldn't just take a slider and turn down his emotions like volume, but that if he had emotions, he would not be in control. And so he'd have to become a robot to survive as a robot. They never really went there. Yeah, it didn't seem weird that they set up that whole emotions messes up the robotics, but it never 
comes back. Ironically, though, I, I feel like, yes, okay, here emotion triumphs mechanics, but I feel like Weller sells that Murphy has become human by the end of that film, and the old man says, what's your name? And he says call me Murphy. The producers talked about people would erupt in cheers because yes, that he has become human again, even though he, I guess, was still tied by those prime directives. Here, I don't ever feel like there's a human being here, that this is a tragedy. This is about a person that's been forced to do something against their will. They're stuck in this suit. I don't know if he's come to accept it, especially when we see the, the final shot that he's just kind of walking around the Detroit police station. What is his future? When I saw Verhoeven's first film and he called me Murphy, that was a triumph moment here it feels like a resolution to a conflict and nothing more they don't have an ending i honestly believe that or rather i believe that the director had a very clear-cut ending that may have been the opposite of what mgm wanted to put out there but for whatever reason yeah they waffle on this it basically is pawned off to poor sam jackson to be like well he may be a cop again or he may not we don't really know i got some footage but fuck him and god bless america i mean they just they don't have an ending that sells you what the journey was yeah, we needed to know exactly where Alex Murphy was by the end of this. What did it mean that he overrode the programming and shot his creator? What did it mean? We don't know. Save it for the sequel. We'll figure it out later. They didn't put it in there, and it's frustrating. I take from this ending a number of things. First, he's finally happy to see his wife and kid. I mean, he wasn't even happy the first time he went that house and they talked about the hockey game during this last scene he's getting suited up one more time the wife and kid come he greets them with open arms they're his first priority who's paying for his repairs i mean he lost an arm and got blown to <laughs> shit in that final battle who's fixing him who is ordering all of this no no it's the old suit it's not a new suit remember he had a silver one first and then keaton was like we need something more tactical make it black he's going back no, no, the first one didn't have the Detroit badge on it. Yeah, I noticed that badge imprinted. Yeah, I think this is 3.0. Oh, well, then I don't know. I just assumed it was 1.0 with a paint job. I did love, though, it was Michael Keaton, Batman, saying paint it black. You know, when Batman had always been gray and blue in my mind, till 89. But yeah, he's got the new classic looking suit. I guess he picks his own duds now. He's the wrong color again, according to Lewis. And... <laughs> He's happy to see his wife and kids, but it also did feel, especially with the dropped reference that OCP is the parent company of Omnicorp, there's a lot of questions out there. I mean, with all of this going down with Sellers dead, did the law pass the Senate? Did it pass the House? I mean... <laughs> I was wondering that same thing. Do you Can just one House repeal it? No, no, the House didn't repeal it. The President didn't sign it. It passed Congress. But the president has to approve. He vetoed it. Okay. So there's no drones out there, and there may or may not be a RoboCop, and there may or may not be a sequel. Yeah. What's telling is that although they have signed Kinnaman, he has to come back if they do it again. Padilla has been completely mum as to whether he would repeat this and, and do another one here. I think that he feels, I know I do, that whatever point he was trying to make hasn't been completely sold, and whether he'd be able to make it in a sequel, well, I don't know. I guess it depends on box office. Do people take to this vision, or did they want something a little bit more friendly? Well, let's see if we take to it. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend RoboCop? Jacob. You know, again, I've said, I, I think I'm a fanboy when it comes to that first film, and I, that is almost a near-perfect movie to me. You know, after I saw this film, I never read reviews before I see a film. I usually try not to read them before we record, but I wanted to see what fan reaction was. 
to this. And you know what? Fuck you, fanboys. You're not entitled to shit. Just because this isn't Verhoeven doesn't mean this is a bad film. And that seems to be like a lot of the opinion out there. And I was skeptical, but you know what? This film won me over. This film, it's a totally different take. It is a science fiction take. This is not a satirical take on American society. No, this is, let's delve into this technology. What does it mean to be human? And for the most part, it's a successful film when it comes to that. I do think towards the end, it becomes muddled and hearing about all these fights between the director and the studio. I feel like the studio, well, they end up winning out at the end here. And that's not for the best. I wanted to delve more into these topics of the police state. Do we embrace that? Do we give up civil liberties? Those are relevant topics right now, and I wish the film would have explored that more through a cool robot cop. But I still think this is a really good film. It's a shame that it came out at this time. I think it's going to tank, and that's a bad thing. I think this is a film that deserves to be seen. It's a strong record recommend for me. Stuart. Strong recommend. You like it a lot. Second best one in this RoboCop series. I don't know how much that's saying. Undoubtedly. Yeah, undoubtedly the second best one. But I was going to predict that none of us were going to be passionate about it. I would think it'd be hard to be in love with this movie. I'm much more of the... I don't know, Carrie MGM reboot. You know, they did this already with Carrie where I felt like they came back with a smarter, more serious movie, but they kind of lost some of the personality and some of the genre fun. I feel like the second half of this movie really does lag and confuse. But I'm going to take Sam Jackson's advice. I'm going to stop whining and I'm going to appreciate where we've come from, where we've gone, and realize this is a major correction to a franchise way out of control. I enjoyed the movie... But I'm not over the moon. I really would like to see a sequel where Padilla could really do what he did with those Elite Squad movies. I really feel like this is a compromised vision for him, much as it is a compromised police work from Alex Murphy. But I'm definitely going to give it a mild recommend. But I, yeah, I'm surprised to hear you love it so much. I'm not going to say I love it. I like it a lot. It has me worried because I feel like it's two for two now. MGM brought Carrie back and it was kind of a, hmm... And now RoboCop, I'm kind of, hmm, next year they're bringing back Poltergeist. That's the one that matters most to me. I don't know. It may be a continuing problem with their reboots, but this one is a little bit more satisfying to watch than the Carrie reboot, so mild recommend. I agree with you, Stuart. I think that a lot of the things that work in RoboCop 2014 are Padillas, but I also think, based upon everything I'm reading, he will never return for a sequel. I know. As for... Do I want a sequel? Well, what do I think of this one? I definitely think this movie has a few flaws. We've discussed them at length. I think that its strongest parts are the early parts when Murphy is in China. And once we get to Detroit, it just starts slipping downward. And as Murphy loses his emotion, I lose some of mine. But nonetheless, I think this is a really awesome character journey that while I may not enjoy the film overall as much as I enjoy Verhoeven's because that one had so much going for it with its satire and its kick-ass action and its ultraviolence, here I actually walked out of the theater thinking they told me a RoboCop story, a story that focused on RoboCop as the protagonist, as the main character, better than Verhoeven did. I really like this man's journey of realizing he is nothing but a sack of tissue and dealing with that and trying to determine what makes a man and what makes a robot. And the way this movie does ask questions earlier, 
Jacob was saying that this movie lets you make the decision. I think this movie is speaking very clearly its opinion, but it does so in a way that still leaves it open for debate. So if you're completely not on the politics side of this movie, you're going to be able to say, but you see, this was a good thing. They were bringing down crime, despite the police state tactics. I think that it's a movie that really works in the 21st century and today's time of politics, both globally and domestically. When I went in thinking that RoboCop was an idea that couldn't possibly work outside of the 80s. So, yeah, I'm going to give this a pretty strong recommend and agree that it's the second best by far in the series, and I gave RoboCop 2 a recommend as well. This is better than that, and I think that with repeated viewings, and there will be some, it's going to grow on me more. I just got to applaud the supporting cast, and eventually, once he gets blown up, Kinnaman... For being able to take me on that road. I can't say so much about the wife and son, but Gary Oldman, Michael Keaton, Jackie Earl Haley, Jay Baruchel, all of them, and even Michael K. Williams, who I didn't watch The Wire, but as Lewis, all really got me into this film in a great way. So going in with the lowest of expectations and expecting to be underwhelmed, I walked out really applauding the effort here and saying, yeah, People need to go see this new RoboCop. Yeah, and the PG-13 rating, something a lot of people worried about, I don't think played a factor. I think there's not a whole lot of compromise because of the rating. No, this isn't that kind of movie. It's not going for that. It's a very different RoboCop. So if you don't like Verhoeven's RoboCop, you may well like this. If you like it, there's still going to be stuff you're going to see here to like. But I was one of the ones who bitched about it going PG-13. And I walked out and I went, well, you know... I'm not quite sure how I felt about the tasers. It is more true to life for current police force. It also does help the rating. But there was one scene, one scene, I I'm, take that back, when Michael Keaton gets shot. There's a rough edit where I think the MPAA said that blood is going to get you the R. And it's just an edit that feels wrong. And then you see Michael Keaton laying in the big dark red pool of blood. I do wonder if there will be an unrated version that might have a couple extra seconds there. But by and large, I did not think about the rating at all. Yeah, I think it's a dopamine issue. I just wish this had been more <laughs> fun. I really do wish they were able to turn up the levels. This movie is in many ways smarter than Vorhoven. The script and the story that they're juggling, the ideas, are more sophisticated. But I don't know. It didn't have to be funny, but it needed to be a lot more fun in that second half. I think that's something that could improve if you let this director have more free reign next time. I think you could have a sequel that's infinitely better. We could get the movie that you guys are describing that I feel like is only half here. Well, we will find that out, but I'm just happy that this is our first theatrical outing of 2014, and it's gone so much better than our first theatrical outing of 2013. And it's a Valentine's Day theatrical outing, which even a bigger triumph. But yeah, so far, 2014 theatrically is looking pretty good. I think then uh, it's only right that maybe we start talking about what we're going to do in the future and see if our odds for keeping the uh, trend going is in our favor. Well, theatrically it might be, but starting next <laughs> week, we're going to go back to some Stephen King. <laughs> 
(laughs) The Stephen King that made me not want to do Stephen King, I want to point out. When we long discussed Stephen King and doing him as a series, it was always these night shift adaptations that made me go, oh, but we don't want to do those 22 movies. And I don't. But we're going to, starting next week. And who knows? Maybe some of them will be funny. Maybe some of them will be campy fun. But yeah, this is sort of where Stephen King stops being uh, A-list kind of projects and becomes that stuff on the video store you never heard of. We're going to be doing all of them, starting with The Boogeyman and The Woman in the Room and Disciples of the Crow. I don't even know what that is, but I will by next week. (laughs) You can find YouTube links on the forum. Yeah, I posted YouTube links to all of these. These are student films. Let's do something we've never done before. Student films that actually got professionally released on VHS and DVD in France. (laughs) (laughs) Our standards keep slipping here at Now Playing. (laughs) I'll say. Yeah, we've already posted a bit of the Stephen King stuff. We got Cat's Eye, we got Graveyard Shift, we got Three Manglers all coming up. And then we come back. Well, no, well, then it sort of bounces back and forth between Superhero and Stephen King. We got Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah, then sometimes they come back, and sometimes they wait for us to do Spider-Man 2, which we'll do <laughs> after those three sometimes they come back again for more whatever that is. And then a movie that I cannot describe how anxious i am to review the lawnmower man (laughs) i got stories about this one and they're about you sir (laughs) i have stories too and they're about you and things i've done to you in the past yeah exactly yeah what was done to me and let me tell you it's what alex murphy went through in this movie is nothing compared to that showing of lawnmower man but yes two i can't even believe it i never saw the second one fortunate me i'll correct that mistake in may lawnmower man job's war rented it the weekend it came out (laughs) and then back to superheroes with x-men the big one with all of them what are they even calling this days of future past okay yeah it's not even a number anymore i don't even know how many x-men there have been but it should be an epic one it's looking good and then we also have our spring and summer donation series coming up and i think this is a good one too for the silver level donation i think they have to decide if they take the blue pill or the red pill because if they donate by taking the blue pill We're taking them to the Matrix. That's right. We're going sci-fi for our spring-summer donation series, and this is a heavily requested one. Matrix Trilogy plus the Animatrix. I don't even know really what that is, but it's an animated companion to that original trilogy. That's only four films, Arnie. We usually have five for our silver level. That's why when we pick back up in mid-July on the silver donation, we're going to cover the new Wachowski project, Jupiter Ascending. I can't tell you what it is, but it looks amazing if you've seen the trailer. Yeah, I think it looks fantastic, and the Wachowskis behind the camera, well, they have some hits, they have some misses, but, you know, I'm interested in this film and some of the talent they're bringing to it. But in between that Matrix leg and Jupiter Ascending, we're going to go ape with eight films based on Planet of the Apes, starting with Charles Teston and concluding with the new theatrical release of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes in July. Another Gary Oldman film. Oh, is it? Yes. I didn't know that. So that'll be for our Gary Gold donation. And there are going to be more monkeys on the main feed because we're getting back to Stanley Kubrick. And Jacob, I know you're excited about this one. We're covering 
Odyssey, both Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey and its sequel. We had such a good reaction with Shining, we knew we had to work in some more Kubrick in 2014. Always glad to do good films. Yes. <laughs> Especially after all this King stuff that's coming our way. Right. So a lot of good stuff and more surprises Well, as we get closer. I don't think we'd like to say too much because, boy, they keep changing release schedules so much. But we'll be going to the theaters often this summer and, and hopefully for good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a surprise to say we're doing Guardians of the Galaxy come August. <laughs> Although that wasn't the good stuff I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> anthropomorphized marvel comics animals don't bring you jollies a tree a raccoon and i'm <laughs> i'm out the door no <laughs> so we have all of that coming up on now playing the schedule will be posted in the forums sometime in the next week so be sure to come to our forums and let us know what you thought of the robocop remake and what you think of our upcoming schedule which ones are you excited for we've just got a lot of king to get through this year but we're going to do it and get through Night Shift this year, and I'm just so excited for all that's coming. So, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. I'm so glad we had this chance to dialogue. Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. Thank you for joining us for Now Playing's RoboCop Retrospective Series. Bitches leave. Dead or alive, you're going to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review podcast. You have 20 seconds to comply. While there, join our forums to discuss this review with other listeners. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. So give me your money and all of it, and don't fuck with me! Your support helps keep Now Playing on the air. The line's open. Waiting for your pledge. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our homepage, nowplayingpodcast.com. We need all the help we can get, young man. (laughs) It's only money. You can also find a link to our cafe press store where you can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. I'd buy that for a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Now Playing is edited by Heath, Phil, Dylan, and Arnie. They'll fix you. They fix everything. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Keep him talking. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Though you may think you're having fun now, you only hurt the one you love. The movies discussed in this series are the properties of their respective trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. It's a free society. Except there ain't nothing free, because there's no guarantees, you know? (laughs) You're on your own. (laughs) There's a lot of jungle. (laughs) Now Playing is not affiliated with Orion Pictures, Metro, Goldwyn, Mayer, Columbia Pictures, Fireworks Entertainment, or any other creative entity involved with these films. We did what we had to do. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.
Okay, let's get out of here. <laughs> Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> he recruits... Um, he re I can't speak tonight. He recruits... I'll admit I had a bit of a panic attack today because of the trip. I've had, like, uh, two big glasses of rum before we started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call you Hobo Cop. <laughs> and you call them the dregs. <laughs> that movie is really good. I like a ticket to see. I didn't drink until after I saw the movie. <laughs> I just was drinking between the movie and the recording. <laughs> I like the scene that's in the trailer when he's putting his son to bed and tells his son to kiss his mother and then he goes too slow and all that. There's moments of charisma, but... That was in the film, too. Right, I'm just saying it was in the trailer first, you know. Okay, I, I mean, <laughs> that seems a weird thing to call out. <laughs> well, the film. If, if the listener hasn't seen the movie yet, it's a scene from the trailer. Okay. Right. <laughs> they approached a lot of A-listers before they wound up with Joel here. I mean, everybody kind of went through this list. Keanu, Tom Cruise, Michael Fassbender. All right, so finally a young person. I'm like, did they want somebody who was 50 or 60, Tom Cruise? <laughs> Hey, he's still a kid at heart. He hasn't grown up. <laughs> and his plastic surgeon keeps it on his face. <laughs> he was in Tropic Thunder. Speaking of rice patties, I was thinking Simple Jack. Because <laughs> I watched Tropic Thunder way too no much. no time was I thinking Simple Jack no. during this yeah. When I see a rice patty, I think of Simple Jack. It's just <laughs> one to the other. I mean, he went back and the boy's like, I saved all the baseball games on my computer. They were hockey games. Mm. Oh, Red Wings. Can, oh, yeah. For, Detroit Red Wings. Canada. What do, what do I expect? <laughs> and I have seen Novak compromise again and again and again. And so when Novak finally compromised... Nor Norton. Oh, Novak oh, Nor is Samuel Norton. Jackson. Oh. I know. That's so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 